Thank you, Grant. I uh, have a habit of occasionally giving a quick glance over my Facebook feed and what my various Facebook friends are getting up to and commenting on. And uh, one comment in particular struck me last week as I was um, preparing for this sermon. A friend of mine, or one of my Facebook friends, had uh, been recently to go and see the original version of the movie Mamma Mia. And uh, many people saw the original movie. And uh, she acknowledged that you know, she loved the music and the dance scenes are quite spectacular. But she reflected that the storyline behind the movie actually raised more concern than she recognised when she had first seen it. Now, I must confess, I cannot remember the details of the storyline. I do remember the music, which was stunning. Something to do with an eve of a wedding and the advice that the young couple were receiving as to whether they should be married or not, but I can't remember all the shenanigans that go on in and around it. But Pierce Brosnan was involved somewhere along the line. But anyway, others can fill me in on the details. The comment that my Facebook friend made was that the theme of the storyline seemed to be that the thing to fear most in life and to view with greatest suspicion is the notion of commitment. That if you are to really experience joy and happiness in life and have a fulfilment, you need to be freed from commitment to be able to do what you want to do, to follow your dreams and ambitions. And she was reflecting on the Facebook feed how many younger children would have been to see the movie Mamma Mia and been drawn into that narrative because it's one that's frequently uh, repeated in our wider community, wider society, that true life is about freedom. Freedom is about being able to do what you want to do, follow your dreams, your visions, and not to be time tied down with commitments. There is a genuine thing around commitment phobia. And that's a sad theme. And it's actually an unbiblical theme because the Bible tells us that the greatest freedom we discover is to be freed from our self-preoccupation and to be able to give out beyond ourselves. It's actually in the whole environment of commitments and honouring commitments in and through all the realities and experiences of life that we find deeper satisfaction and joy. Now, we know life isn't always like that and the various challenges, what happens when some of those commitments are broken, are very profound. But it does lead me into where I want to go with this passage from Jeremiah, uh, which is an assurance of God's covenant that is both restored and renewed. Now, this is a very popular passage, a well-known one, when the days are coming when I will make a new covenant, God says. But it's actually worth noting that this is Jeremiah saying these words. In an earlier stage of his career, if you like, as a prophet, where he was receiving messages from God and delivering them, he was known as old, you know, grumble guts. He was forever coming up with negative messages. The early part of Jeremiah's calling was to warn the people that if they didn't get their act together, if they didn't take seriously the calls to stop the direction they were going in and come back to God, 
then God will bring judgment upon them. And uh, forever people would see Jeremiah coming into the marketplace and other areas and, oh, here he comes again. What's the, the doom and gloom message is going to come? So much so that by about chapter 19 of Jeremiah, Jeremiah's in a prayer to God and said, look, for once can you not give me a positive message? I'm forever the doom and gloom person. And sure enough, the warnings that Jeremiah gave in that earlier stage of his ministry came to reality. And the people were defeated in battle by the Babylonians and went into captivity, as we've seen in recent weeks. So for Jeremiah to have this wonderful, rich, positive message is not just a, a point of interest. It actually is a significant uh, truth that I'm sure spoke to Jeremiah as much as the people he delivered it to. At the heart of this message is the notion of covenant. We saw that beautiful, quick uh, little snapshot of just how significant this language of covenant is the language of partnership. And it isn't just the biblical or theological notion. We have covenants today. Solicitors and others will tell us about covenants that we need to respect in legal processes. It's the same word for testament. It's a commitment that needs to be honoured. And it was uh, very frequent in the ancient world. Nearly all formal relationships were some form of covenant. And we have tens of thousands of fragments and documents and uh, archaeological evidence about these covenants in the ancient world. But the key notion is that a covenant is a pledge, an oath-bound relationship between two or more parties. It's a commitment made publicly that has consequences. And that's the language that God uses to describe his work of salvation, of redemption within the Old Testament narrative. is described, I'm about building covenant, building relationships. So, a brief bit of background. Now, there's a number of ways in which a passage like this can be approached. Um, and I want to do a little bit of technical things of uh, what's, what's the notion of a covenant and why are there different types of covenants. Um, I could happily speak for half an hour on ancient Near Eastern covenants and bring up beautiful graphics of what they look like and things. I shall discipline myself um, just to give you the, 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 uh, the, the executive summary of what's important about the covenants. But I do want to talk about how it shapes God's narrative of redemption and I do want to leave us, I do want to leave us with where does this speak to us today, both personally, wherever we are, whatever we face in the weeks ahead, whatever our circumstances in life are, where does it leave us as a church here at St Matthews? Where does it speak to us as a wider church, as God's people in a, uh, a rapidly changing world? So that's mapping out a little bit where I'm going to go and I'm going to be fairly disciplined. First of all, there are two main types or categories of covenants, conditional and unconditional. A conditional covenant is when a, a powerful force is making a covenant with a weaker party. Uh, frequently, it was the sovereign, whether it's a king or an emperor or someone who's come through, and was often introduced with, I am Darius, the king of Persia who has just defeated you. 
I've done this, and this is the way it's going to be. I expect you to do these various things, and I will undertake to keep you safe from other threats. Um, so they'll, and they'll call on various parties to say that this is the, uh, the rules we need to work by in this covenant. And the vassal, the weaker party, basically had to say, okay, they didn't have a lot of choice in the matter. The unconditional covenants was more of a, a free and very generous gift. So there's a royal land grant that might give land to various people saying, this is now your land, you are free to use it. I'm not going to control it for you. But to make sure we do it in a way which is orderly and which we understand what our various responsibilities are, this is the nature of the covenant. Now you might think, oh, that's all very interesting. What difference does it make to the Bible? One of the key elements to know is that whenever the people who are being entering into a covenant with God, other than the covenant with Noah, which is an earlier form, it's conditional. It's actually conditional means that there is a responsibility and a capacity to make choices. God's not saying, I'm going to turn you into little robots. I'm not going to turn you into puppets. I'm not going to force you to do those. I'm giving you space to make that choice. But you need to be aware that if you choose one thing or the other, it comes with consequences. So the covenant names what what the choices are and what the consequences are. Largely, you either honour the covenant and it will go well, or if you dishonour the covenant, then it won't go well. The unconditional covenant is one that characterises God's covenant, where God makes a commitment unconditionally. So where does God fit into these various covenants? He's saying, well, I'm sort of in, but I'm sort of out, depending on your performance. God's covenant with Noah, with Abram, and all who followed says, I am committing myself to you regardless. This is my commitment, and I will be called, I'll keep faithful to that covenant. That's an amazing truth. Because God isn't sort of saying, well depending on how your performance goes. God says, I'm there for you. I will honour my part of the covenant. How the, uh, the various covenants were formed, the conditional ones, they could be verbal, they could be a handshake, they could be written, they could be using sandals. I have forgotten, I know I did do it in my studies once, what us use of the sandals were in forming a covenant. Brings to mind Monty Python type of exercises where people slap each other around with a sandal. Um, but in particular, the covenants could be between equals or they could be between, as I said before, the sovereign is the sovereign power and the vassal is the, 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 the subjects to it. And that's the way in which these various covenants operated. Enough of the background. Let's explore what this looks like in the biblical narrative. We can see this covenant, which is an expression from Exodus 19. It's at the foot of Mount Sinai. Um, Moses is about to go up and to receive the rules for the covenant, the Ten Commandments, but they just fit within the wider context of the covenant relationship that God is about to make with the people of Israel. Um, verse 1 of Exodus 19 starts with what that looks like. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of slavery. 
God doesn't introduce the covenant with, I am the Lord your God who's just defeated you in battle, but I have already saved you. I've already acted in grace. I heard your cries and I've brought you out out of the bondage of Israel, out of Egypt. Verse 5 then he says, Thou therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine. God's saying, this partnership, you need to honour it. And my purpose, what I'm hoping for you, is not just for yourselves, but that all people, the whole earth eventually, benefits from that. As Fiona mentioned from the Lectio 365 thing at the start of the service, as I was listening, it just struck me that some two billion people will gather in churches over the next 24 hours around the world, across every continent, nation, pretty much every ethnicity. Imagine if that two billion people are honouring and keeping the covenant and doing what God wants us to do, what a difference that can make. It is comes, those conditional covenants, the if you do have this shape behind them, if and then, if you obey, if you listen, then there will be flourishing. The blessings of creation will grow and they'll uh, shape the whole environment. The whole world will begin to be shaped by, by this. But if you choose to disobey, if you choose to do your own thing, if you choose to say, well, yeah, no, I'm going to do this, then God says, well, the blessings of creation, life itself, will be withdrawn from you. You can't turn your back on life and expect that life to follow you. That's the consequences that comes with making those choices. So covenants, classically, the conditional ones, have promises, and it's very much God's promise, as we'll see in a minute, and warnings. There's a phrase that's used that's almost untranslatable in, uh, in the Hebrew in the Old Testament, um, and it's sometimes it's sort of woe is me is the, is the phrase that's used in Isaiah and elsewhere. Uh, my paraphrase for it is basically it's a prophet saying, Oi, watch out! And being a bit of a sailor, it's sort of a, the oi that watch out when you're heading towards rocks. The, the, the prophets are saying, watch out! If you don't change direction, you're going to hit a shipwreck. You're going to be on the rocks. That's the warnings that come through the prophets and continue to come through the New Testament teaching. So that looks like, this is in Deuteronomy, as Moses is speaking to the people when they're about to enter the promised land, having been through their wilderness journeys. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, then all these curses, turning your back on life, will come upon you and will overtake you. The prophets were basically saying, please hear that and take it seriously. So with that background and realising that the people of Israel did not take it seriously and so judgment came upon them and they were in exile and in the time of Jeremiah, Jeremiah then begins to say, but God hasn't said, okay, it's all over. That plan's out the window. I'm going to do something totally different. Now Jeremiah Here's a message from God. Look, the days are coming when I will make 
a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of David. One of the things to note about that word new, it's a, it's a simple statement, but it's a really important one. It doesn't mean the old is discarded. Um, our Jonathan has a habit of when we buy something new for the house, he then says, so do we hate the old now? <laughs> no, no, it doesn't mean to say it. The new in the covenants always builds on what is already there. It's not setting it aside. The covenant with creation, the covenant in with Noah, the covenant with Abraham, all provide the foundation. So then the covenant with Moses builds on that. Then the covenant with David builds on that. And now the new covenant on Christ builds on all those foundations. That is why the Old Testament story of redemption is absolutely vital to understand this building project that culminates in the new covenant that's identified with Jesus. And by the way, the word covenant is also the word testament. This is where the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, is announcing the coming of the New Testament. Why does such a rich passage? So Jeremiah continues, speaking on behalf of God. This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when the day that I led them by hand, by the hand, to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, even though I am their master, although sometimes that phrase can be used, their husband, the Lord's declaration. No, this is building something that is entirely new on that foundation. Instead, this is the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel. And just as Paul mentioned last week when we had a very similar passage from Ezekiel, the language of I will is the language of God saying, this is what I will do out of faithfulness for the covenant. I will make the house of David, house of Israel after those days. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. God's commitment is the foundation. It is what is absolutely indispensable to keep this covenant happening. And that phrase, they shall be my people and I shall be their God, is the phrase of the covenant. If you want to, whenever you come across that phrase in reading the Bible, we're talking the language of covenant. We actually use it in the baptism service when we have a reading from 1 Peter 2. In the, in the moment of baptism, where we are marked as Christ's own forever, God says, I am your God, and you are my child, you are my people. And we're called with a mission and purpose. But right from Genesis, right through to Revelation, that is the key phrase that God is building this relationship that is grounded in his grace and his mercy and his faithfulness and his love. Take a step back for that a moment. Because I'm pretty sure that unless you are absolutely exceptional, most of you will be like me, knowing that I can put on a reasonable front when I come to church. And it's not artificial. This is, I hope, it is the real me. But there's a lot more to me than you would know. There's a lot more to me that actually only God knows. And I can't come before God and saying, yep, I've got to put my act together. 
I know that I'm not faithful. I know that there are times when I just want to do my own thing. And there are times when I think, yeah, no, I should be of interest in that, but I'm, I'll just rather do this. It is so easy for us just to be a bit more lazy in our faith or even apathetic about it or take it for granted. I know that's true of myself. Now, you might be all the exceptions. I don't know. But for me to hear God saying, I'm still there for you. You are my child. I know the realities, but this is our covenant relationship that I have with you, God says, to each and every one of us. When we take part in the communion service, which we'll do on St Matthew's Day next week, and we receive the bread and the wine of the new covenant, it is God's pledge to us that we are receiving and saying yes to and thank God for. So that phrase, you will be my people, is a phrase of relationship, but it's also a calling. It's actually a commission. My people have a job to do, God says. And I want to be, take on that mission and part of what we need to repent personally as a church is our failure to be committed to that mission. So where does it take us? As we seek to hear this personally and as a living word that continues to speak to us today. Jeremiah 31 is already said back in uh, early verses of this chapter. Indeed, I have loved you with an eternal love and therefore I have drawn you with loving kindness. That word loving kindness is a beautiful word. Um, it's a word that talks about God's fidelity, God's commitment that is unfailing. No longer, the Lord says, will one teach his neighbour or his brother saying, know the Lord, for they all know me, from the least to the greatest. It doesn't matter where you fit within society, whether you're highly regarded or poorly regarded, if ever everyone knows your name and no one knows your name. It doesn't matter where you're educated, what your background, what race or ethnicity you have. None of that matters, God says. This is the Lord's declaration, for I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. And this is where this wonderful promise of God in Jeremiah 31 connects directly with the entry of Jesus into the world and his mission upon the cross. The words for I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin are not words that a God who is right and just can just flick out. It comes at the cost of God loving the world so much that he sends his son to take upon and achieve what it takes to deal with that wrongdoing and to be a just and right God. For they all will know me, from the least to the greatest. And God knows us from the least to the greatest. One of the most vulnerable places we find ourselves is a sense of hypocrisy. A voice that says, what are you doing here? What are you, you know, playing with? You know the reality of your life. 
Why are you gathering in the church? That is an evil accusation as such. God says, I know you and you are my child. As I was preparing for this, I came back to this notion that this is a covenant of love. This is a beautiful summary of what this foundational covenant that culminates with the covenant, the new covenant in Jesus. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Covenant of love to a thousand generations. That's us. We are now drawn into this covenant of love that God says to us, I'm there for you. I'll not let you go. You can trust me to be faithful to this commitment, this pledge, this oath that I have made to you. As I was thinking through how to sit with that, I've uh, 